Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Welcome to Bloomberg Surveillance 830. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. Economic Indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Vidi Del Judice is at the First Word Desk with a report on trade. The advanced merchandise trade balance, Michael, and we're seeing a deficit, $57.5 billion, little change from the prior month. So the merchandise trade deficit coming in at $57.5 billion in April, little change from the prior month. June 3rd, we get the complete trade report incorporating goods and services. Earlier today, mortgage applications weekended May 20th. Up 2.3%. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Dell Judice. Let's go back to yeah, Vinny, thanks so much. Mike, help me out here. And this is a good precursor into Conrad de Quadros of RDQ uh, Economics. What is the merchandise goods trade balance? I was on the second floor of Bergdorf Goodman yesterday. I happened to wander into the woman's shoe department where my wallet was lightened. I can honestly tell you in umpteen years, I've never seen it that busy enjoying 80% off or whatever the sales. Mike, it was, it uh, was Italian shoes. It was like Filene's basement on a bad day 30 (laughs) years ago. If those were Italian shoes or anything like it, then you got the trade deficit right there. That's part of the merchandise trade deficit, right? Yeah. We buy things made elsewhere. Uh, the, the advanced trade goods balance report that we just got is uh, relatively new and it is, uh, what is it? it, It's, it's the trade, uh, in goods. For the month of April, they've moved up their ability to get the numbers out sooner. Then they'll add services to it for the overall number. Uh, and basically what it's telling us is that the economy in the second quarter started off on a trade basis a little bit better than analysts uh, forecast. So maybe a, a little bit better overall for growth in the quarter. I'm not sure if Atlanta Fed changes their GDP now number based on just this release, but uh, it may affect some people. Um, uh, Maybe the folks at RDQ Economics. We can ask Conrad DeQuadros, senior economist there, uh, what the second quarter is looking like and to what extent trade is playing into that. Good morning, Conrad. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. What's your your read of uh, the the NetX um, number? in the the GDP formulation so far? Well, obviously very early in the quarter. This is just the first month of the quarter for trade, and this is just the advanced release. As you said, we don't get services until we get the full trade report next week. Um, But the report did show a little less of a widening in the trade gap than was expected. We're looking for trade to be a modest uh, drag on growth in the second quarter, but we still expect growth in the second quarter in GDP terms to be significantly stronger than what was reported uh, for the very lackluster first quarter. Our estimate right. is, is for growth to be close to two and three quarter percent. Then, then does um, it sustain? Does it sustain off that good second quarter? Does it stay after? I think it does. Um, you know, the first quarter I don't, just don't think is very representative of the the growth rate of the economy. We know that for several years we've had this uh, lower 
reported first quarter growth and then they pick up in the second half of the year and uh, second quarter into the second half of the year. And I think that that continues this year. Now, by no means are we expecting a, a, a very robust growth rate for, for 2016, but I think the 2% growth that's been maintained uh, for the last several years uh, will remain the growth rate that we'll see for, for 2016. Staying on the idea of um, trade, do you think the uh, better than forecast number is a result of uh, better uh, impact on the terms of trade from the dollar, or is it because maybe uh, overseas uh, economies are picking up? Uh, can you read anything into it? Well, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm always a little bit cautious about reading too much into any one report, but if you look at this report, we saw a significant rebound in both exports and imports in April. Um, exports in this report were up uh, close to 2.5% and imports up 2%. Now, that's after some significant declines in both exports and export, imports and exports in the prior month. But maybe there's some evidence here that um, there's been some improvement in global demand for U.S. products given the increase in exports. Um, I think that domestic demand in the U.S. is is been pretty decent, and uh, we know that from the consumer numbers and the retail sales report, and uh, that's probably part of the reason why we had this rebound in, in imports. The, uh, the the dollar is uh, relatively flat. It had come down uh, into the quarter. Uh, how much of an impact does it have on trade overall? Interesting piece uh, by Nariana Kochilakota on uh, Bloomberg View the other day, noting that uh, so much of uh, what's traded in the world is priced in dollars, so the dollar's movement doesn't have the impact on the U.S. economy that it does on other economies. I think for trade and particularly for longer term trends, it's far more important, uh, what the, what's going on with demand. Either, uh, if we're looking at the U.S. trade gap, what's going on with, uh, domestic demand abroad, um, and that's one of, been one of the big, uh, reasons why we've seen, uh, the trade influence on GDP that we have seen and why we've seen the kind of manufacturing numbers that we've seen. Um, domestic demand in other countries has been quite soft, uh, and that's why there's been some downward pressure on U.S. exports growth. Uh, and on the import side, it's, it's determined by, by domestic conditions in the U.S., domestic demand here. So I think that over the more medium term, that's a far more important determinant of the trade gap than changes in the value of the dollar. Conrad DeCrados with us with RDQ Economics will continue this discussion. A lot to talk about, not so much the Fed parlor game and all that, but just as you heard Mr. DeCrados talking about, just the trying to figure out where this American economy is going. And, of course, uh, that goes through the summer and the conventions. It goes through into Labor Day, into September. Mike, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a GDP report like October 26th. That will be interesting just before the election. Always yeah. of interest. Uh, futures advance up nine. Dow futures up 73. The yen 110.22. This hour of surveillance brought to you by BMW Mount Kisco. Visit BMWMountKisco.com. Here's Michael Barr with news headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. President Obama has arrived in Japan for a G7 summit meeting. Earlier today, the president wrapped up his historic three-day visit to Vietnam. The president, during a speech before young men and women in Ho Chi Minh City, says that support for the Trans-Pacific Partnership is a way to develop Vietnam's economy. That will open up a lot of opportunities and create great confidence among investors here in Vietnam and U.S. companies who are interested in working with uh, young people like you who, who may have a great idea. 
The president will also visit Hiroshima, Japan, where the first atomic bomb was dropped during World War II. The House Homeland Security Committee will have some pointed questions today for the head of the Transportation Security Administration. TSA Administrator Peter Neffinger will be asked today about the long lines at airport security and exactly what prompted the ouster of the agency's top security official, Kelly Hogan. The final vote is scheduled today in a House committee considering a bill to create a financial control board and debt restructuring to help Puerto Rico find its way out of a crippling $70 billion hole. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists, more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? All right, thank you, Michael Barr. Time now for the Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stasha. All right, Mike, Mets were hoping for a fifth straight win to get back to the first place, but Washington hit five home runs, three off Matt Harvey. Steven Strasburg struck out 11 to get to 8. No, the Nationals won 7-4. to four. Mets had given Harvey the option of not facing the Nats after they lit him up last week. He wanted the ball, but he dropped to 3-7. and seven. His ERA is now over 6. He did not speak with reporters afterwards. The Yankees, 6 nothing win over Toronto. Their sixth win in a row means they've climbed back to 500. Three weeks after falling eight games under, Carlos Beltran is 10th home run. Nathan Avaldi won his fifth in a row, allowing just two hits. Alex Rodriguez, two hits in Trenton. He's expected back in New York on Friday. The Warriors, of course, won an NBA record 73 regular season games, but unless they now win three in a row over red-hot Oklahoma City, there will be a new NBA champion, the Thunder, with a... 42-point second quarter, again built up a big lead. They won game four, 118-94, lead the series 3-1. Russell Westbrook, 36 points and a triple-double. NHL Pittsburgh won 5-2 at Tampa Bay, so they'll have a game seven in the East tomorrow in Pittsburgh. Stan Warinka, the French Open defending champs, up two sets in his match right now. Kentucky Derby winner Nyquist, sick with a fever, won't run the Belmont next month in New York. His triple crown hopes dashed by exaggerator at the Preakness. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashman. John, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Mike, Conrad DiCardio is coming up here on the American economy. Yeah. Away from the, uh, the the parlor game of the Fed in Yellen in June and July, Mike, what are you most focused on? Um, what's interesting is, is that, that at the moment um, the markets are not performing as as you would think. And you're seeing a risk-on attitude. And uh, Wilbur Ross just told us things look better to him than people are suggesting. And so let's focus on this day in New York when it's supposed to be 90 degrees and sunny on on a positive attitude. Yeah, to me, the positive attitude is consumer. And as Conrad said earlier, you know, it's pretty darn good across the challenges that one part of America is facing. We will continue with Conrad DeCardos, RDQ Economics on the American Economy, Bloomberg Surveillance. The sports report was brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. The spring sales event is happening now. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com. Land Rover above and beyond. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at nria.net. 
Global equities rising to a two-week high amid increasing investor optimism that the world economy can withstand higher interest rates from the Federal Reserve. Oils advancing and gold falling amid a retreat in the dollar. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Futures are higher with S&P E-mini futures of 9 points, Dow E-mini futures up 70, NASDAQ E-mini futures up 22. The DAX in Germany is up 1.4%. The 10-year Treasury little change yield 1.86%. NYMEX crude oil up 1.2% or 60 cents to 49.22 a barrel. COMEX gold is down half percent or $6.50 to 12.25.70 an ounce. The euro $1.1153. The yen 110.18. Hewlett Packard Enterprises up 13% this morning. It said it'll spin off and merge its business services division with computer sciences in a deal valued at $8.5 billion for HPE shareholders. And Tiffany down almost 3% after posting quarterly sales that trailed analysts' projections. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Thanks so much, Karen. I appreciate that. I greatly appreciate uh, that. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Paula Dwyer, an editor with Bloomberg View. When President Barack Obama last week required companies to give overtime pay to millions of workers, it was a reminder that government now orders by regulation what unions used to get in bargaining with employers. With wages stagnant and labor unions at an all-time low, only 11% of the workforce belongs, more such government actions will be needed. Studies show the decline of unions is as much of a drag on wages as is the lack of a college degree. Problem is, some unions have pursued interests to the detriment of others, such as negotiating for public sector pensions that taxpayers can't afford. If not unions, what? Donald Trump promises to bring back factory jobs with steep tariffs that discourage offshoring and block Chinese imports. His ideas, though, would cause more harm than help to the economy. Hillary Clinton proposes tax credits for companies that offer profit-sharing, She would also make work more attractive, especially for women, with paid family leave and federal funding of preschool programs. She's on the right track, but could do more with tax credits that help with child care, that reward workers who upgrade skills, and that encourage companies to form German-style works councils, which have been shown to increase productivity. The fate of the American middle class depends more on these kinds of solutions, rather than speeches at the factory gate. I'm Paula Dwyer, an editor with Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg commentary, please go to Bloomberg View or View Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Headlines out on Citigroup, a little bit confusing, so I want to step carefully here. The CFTC orders Citibank to pay $250 million on attempted manipulation within the foreign exchange market. And very critically, and this involves some uh, Japanese affiliates as well, $175 million penalty as well. All of this blended in to yen LIBOR and euro-yen TIBOR rate rigging. It is very unclear. We'll have much more on this. These headlines, Mike, just out in the last four minutes, it seems to be two separate events for Citigroup and Citibank. 
involving 250 plus 175 million. I believe the math on that's 425 uh, million. We'll have much more on this through uh, the day. Was that was that as unclear as I could make it, Mike? Yeah, I tried. A Thank you. CFA level five <clears throat> math problem for you yeah. there. Um, Tybor. <laughs> Tybor. Conrad DeQuadros is with us from RDQ Economics, and we're catching up on the U.S. economy. It's obviously the center of the Fed's decision in either June or July to go ahead with a rate increase, if that's what they do. Uh, their view, as expressed in the minutes, Conrad, was that uh, things were getting better in the U.S. economy. And so I'd like to get your your take on that, your assessment of the economy. Is it significantly better? Is it stable? How would you describe things these days? Well, I think that we're seeing continued moderate growth, and I think that the Fed's comments from its minutes are relative to its perceived uh, slowing in the economy that happened in the first quarter, which I don't believe actually happened. I think that they uh, pay too much attention to the initial readings on GDP growth. Um, there's only some people at the Fed, like John Williams, who acknowledge this problem that there appears to, to be with the seasonal adjustment factors in the first quarter. And so the, the, the Fed grew quite pessimistic about the economy in the first quarter and what I think was flawed analysis um, and now has, has sounds uh, more more optimistic. But, you know, as we look ahead to what their policy decisions are, are going to be in June and July, um, and, and I think this is quite unfortunate, but it seems like they will hang on the jobs report that's out next Friday, uh, and I think it's a it's a terrible idea for the Fed to determine policy on just the latest report. Um, the jobs reports for the last several months have been pretty solid. We've been maintaining this trend of 200,000 jobs per month on average um, over the last three months. Uh, but but the May report that's out on June 1st is probably going to weigh very heavily on their decision on June 15th. Uh, what about the idea that uh, basically the Fed has made up its mind to have higher rates and therefore it, it's not a question of what data will convince the Fed to move, but if there are any data that will convince the Fed not to move? I don't think that that's the case. And, of course, we'll, we'll learn a lot more. We've heard from a number of the Fed presidents. We've heard very little from the governors, and we'll hear from one of them uh, tomorrow when Powell delivers his speech. And then, most importantly, from Janet Yellen, who's speaking after the jobs report on, on June 6th. And I don't think that they've made up their mind. Um, I, I think that it will, will depend on, on the, the data. And as I said, I think it's unfortunate that it depends most, most likely on just one report. Uh, but if we were to get an, an a weak jobs report for May, um, which, of course, could then be revised over the next mm -hmm. couple of months. And, and the report is very volatile from month to month. But if the initial print were to be low on, on job growth, uh, then I think it's quite right. likely that the Fed will take a pass in June. I, I don't expect that to be the case. I think we'll uh, likely see a fairly solid report, and, and that will um, result in the Fed moving in, in the middle of next month. Conrad, we, we all know we live within the great distortion of low interest rates. We've got the buyer Monsanto um, uh, 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 game playing out within negative rate Europe as well. Do we risk malinvestment, overinvestment, whatever you want to call it, if we have a run rate of low rates for years? I, I think we do. I think there's likely to be distortions from uh, Fed policy, which I, I don't think is appropriately paid 
placed. Um, the Fed is focusing on too many variables and is and not just on the variables that matter and the variables that it's mandated to follow. Um, for, 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 I think, uh, and unfortunately, um, we have a Fed that has conditioned people to think about 2% growth, which is the path that we've been on, um, despite the quarter-to-quarter volatility. 2% growth has seen the same whether uh, we were last year and the unemployment rate was 5.7%, inflation was zero, versus now when inflation has risen to close to 1% and the unemployment rate has fallen to 5%. Um, and yet we have policy that's positioned about the same. We've had a 25 basis point rate hike. Um, so I think that, to, to me, that suggests that, that policy is not appropriately placed relative to the economy. And I think that that's going to lead to some some distortions. There could be uh, a buildup in, in risks in the financial sector. There could be, um, and, and I know that this seems remote at this point, but and, and I don't think inflation is going to be a problem, um, but we could see inflation rise by more than the Fed is expecting. And uh, the result of that might be the Fed feeling like it needs to get more aggressive. And that's the kind of thing that in the past the Fed has argued it wants to avoid. But the way you avoid that is continuing to normalize policy and not pause right. every time there's something that worries you. The, um, the growth rate of the economy seems to be stuck in the 2% range. Uh, we used to call that the new normal. Now it just seems like uh, it's been long enough that we call it the normal, Tom. And if, if this is the normal, Conrad, then uh, what's the appropriate interest rate setting? Well, you know, again, I think we need to consider that 2% growth rate that we've been seeing um, relative to the potential growth rate of the economy, which has come down. Um, you know, th- th- I think it would be very unlikely that the, the unemployment rate would have fallen to the extent that it has um, if the potential growth rate was above 2%. I don't think it is. So you know, 2% is moderate growth. It, it would be great if we could see the potential growth rate of the economy rise, um, but that's not something that the Fed can do. That We have an environment of, of very low productivity growth, um, and uh, you know, I think that there are some policies that could support stronger productivity growth, but I don't think that the Fed has any tools to, to do that. Conrad Acardus, thank you so much for the briefing with RDQ uh, Economics uh, this morning. Uh, Michael, we got a firestorm of response from Mr. Ross's appearance this morning. Yeah. Firestorm of a lot, response. A lot of people um, interested in his investment advice and certainly people debating his political choices. The political choices as well. We are balanced. We went to our Rolodex, the surveillance Rolodex is eight inches in diameter. It's one of those old rotating things. Nixon was president. And we went in there, Mike, and we looked for a Democrat. We tried to find one Democrat in the surveillance Rolodex. We were successful. Good. This is coming up in our next hour. We will speak to someone, about dem- a mystery guest, about Democratic politics. This, after Wilbur Ross and his support of Mr. Trump. Always interesting. Bloomberg Surveillance.